Great. We are having some uh, microphone issues this morning, so I'm going to be wired this morning. So uh, do excuse us. Maybe it's something in the atmosphere with all this heat. Or no, no, I do need this one. Yeah, take, clearly it takes all of the technicalities by surprise as well when it's this warm suddenly, and not just us. How is everyone doing? How warm is it out there? It's much cooler today, isn't it? This is good. Well, welcome to the second in our series this morning called Headstrong. We are looking at the question of how we defeat the giant challenge in our culture today that is emotional well-being. How do we manage the challenges of 21st century life and not just survive them, but how do we thrive in the midst of some of those challenges? This is part of our year in 29 at Zio, looking at some of the giants of life and living and our world and looking at what blessings it is that God has given us to help us to defeat those things. So we are looking at giants of emotional health. Last week we looked at anxiety. How do we defeat the giant of anxiety and fear? This week we are looking at joy, joyful. Now let me just reassure you we are not looking to defeat the giant of joy. If anyone's concerned about this, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. We're not saying we're going to remove all joy from your life. It's the other way round because we live in challenging times right now, don't we? There's a lot going on. I don't know about you. I think I said last week, but I've, I've started to stop listening to the news in the morning because it just makes me grumpy. Does anybody else find that? It's quite alarming. There's so much going on. It never feels very positive. We hear lots of worrying stuff on the news these days, the challenge of austerity, political turmoil, the threats of things like climate change, it can all feel a bit depressing. And we know as well that some of the challenges of 21st century living are affecting people of all ages, but particularly the rising generations. And many of you will know that by background, I'm a psychologist. I work with an organization when I'm not here, um, which is looking at the challenge of emotional health. And we hear statistic after statistic after statistic showing the rise in levels of emotional distress and challenge and even in the last week I had two conversations with people who've been involved in doing uh, patches of research looking at specific groups one with students one in a school setting and both of those people were phoning me say in quite a panic saying that the results of their studies had shown more than 90% of the people they were surveying were reporting reporting significant levels of emotional distress, 90%. That's nine out of 10 of the students in the study that was looking at students, nine out of 10 of the, the teenagers in the one that was looking at a school population. So actually the challenge of emotional distress and ill health is absolutely everywhere. And it's an interesting question how we challenge that. You know, as one of her last acts as Prime Minister, because as one of my kids asked me this week, they said, but, but me, who, who actually is running the country at the moment? I'm like, you know what, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure anyone is, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. 
Who knows? But as one of her last acts as Prime Minister, Theresa May pledged a new mental health awareness campaign that is coming in the autumn, probably, because nothing's certain, but that's going to be called Every Mind Matters, and it's supposed to be to raise awareness of emotional ill health and mental health as a challenge. But you know what? I would say to you as someone working in this field, I think awareness is not our challenge. I think we are much more aware than we used to be, certainly than a decade ago. But as we're talking so much more about mental illness, I think another challenge presents itself to us, which is, are we talking enough about wellness? Because that's actually the thing we're aiming at. This is a quote from the American philosopher Henry Theroux, which says, never look back unless you're planning to go that way. You know, it's a basic truth, isn't it, that we focus our eyes on the thing that we want, the thing that we're aiming at. And yet, how much do we talk about the good stuff of life, the good stuff of emotional health? How much do we talk about wellness and things like happiness and joy? Because that's what we want for us, for our kids, for our teenagers and young people. We need more joy. We need more health. We need to learn how to be happy How do you manage the challenges of life? How do you bounce back when life is throwing rubbish at you? And so this morning, I want us to spend some time thinking about joy. How do we live joy-filled lives? Because this is something we could all use more of. How do we do it? So before we move any more into that, we need to think about, well, what actually is joy? So here are a few definitions. This is a definition from the American Psychological Association of Joy. It is a feeling of extreme gladness, delight, or exaltation of the spirit. Joy is a good thing. Here's another definition. It says that joy is an emotion comprised of feelings of happiness, contentment, and harmony. That sounds good, doesn't it? Who would like this afternoon to spend the afternoon bathed in feelings of happiness, contentment, and harmony? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, doesn't it? It's my prayer for my family this afternoon. Happiness, contentment, harmony. I shall tell them that after the service. But this definition continues to make an interesting observation about joy, and it's this. It says, joy differs from general happiness in that it is not caused by a particular event, but comes from within the individual. So it's interesting to understand when we're talking about joy of how this differs from happiness. Happiness is a a, a shorter term emotion that's triggered by something that happens and you feel happy. Joy, though, has this sense that it's a longer term state. It's something less transitory. And it comes from somewhere within many definitions of joy. Interestingly, talk about it as a spiritual thing. It's something to do with the connectedness that we have with ourselves, with nature, with, with, with higher being, whatever that is that you believe in. There's a sense that joy has this mysterious quality that we perhaps find really hard to describe and to understand. And interestingly, the Bible talks a lot more about joy than it does happiness. If you want to go away and Google it later on, you'll find that there are around, depending on which translations you look at, 400 references to joy in the Bible. There's actually only around 20 or so for happiness. 
So there's something about this sense of joy that we need to understand that we need to harness this morning. Something about something that is a longer term thing. It's not fleeting. It's not short term. You try and grab hold of it, but it's gone. It's like a baseline foundational thing that you can build your life on and around. And it's an interesting thing for us to think about in terms of how the Bible talks about it. Here's one of the most common quotes that you might have heard from the Bible. This is from the Old Testament talking about joy. How many people have heard this quoted? The joy of the Lord is your strength. How many people have heard that quoted? Yeah. How many people have had that quoted at you when you are feeling really crabby? Yeah, yeah, a couple of you. It's not always the most helpful thing. How many of you have felt like mildly thumping someone who has said that, no, perhaps don't, don't own up to it? The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's interesting for us as people of faith, as people who have a relationship with God, to think what's the relationship for joy and our faith and what's the impact that has on us? I love this verse, but I love the true depth of what it actually says in the original ancient Hebrew. That word that's translated as strength literally means it is your fortress, your safety, your place of protection. So we know that joy is a feel-good, happy emotion, but the Bible suggests to us that it's more than that, that there is something about this foundational joy that we can carry, that as human beings we're designed to carry, that is a protection, a place of safety for us as we enter more challenging times when life throws its difficulties at us. Joy is essential not just because of some hedonistic, feel-good lifestyle desire that we have. Joy is important because it sustains us. It helps us to be resilient. It helps us release the full potential of life that God so longs for us to have. Because life is inevitably hard sometimes, isn't it? It isn't, no matter what I say to you here, I am never going to be able to present something clever enough to tell you how to eradicate all difficulty and challenge from your life. So we need to understand what joy really is and how it can sustain us. Here's another ancient Hebrew piece of wisdom. This is from Proverbs in the Old Testament in the Bible. It says, more than anything you guard, protect your mind because life flows from it. Did you know that your mind is the center of everything that you are? We take our emotional well-being for granted far too often because if you struggle with your mind, with your emotional health, it affects everything else in your life. Protect and guard your mind more than anything else. So might joy be an essential part of our toolkit as we try and do that? If the Bible says that joy is our fortress, our place of safety, do we need to learn more and get better at pursuing joy, at prioritizing our experience of this ethereal, difficult to describe quality, this feeling? Because it has an essential pattern in the blueprint of how God creates us. So what I want to do this morning is spend some time looking at joy. And I want to look at three different types of joy that the Bible talks about. And for us all to think about how do we do that? How do we pursue joy? How do we prioritize joy? How do we get more joy in life? How does that sound? 
Okay, well, fine, then we won't bother. I'll just go sit there. It sounds good, yes? We would like some more joy. So let me tell you about these three types. Now, the first one, then, is an, another ancient Hebrew word for joy. You can see it on the screen. Uh, this is one example of its use in Psalm 16, verse 11, when the psalmist, the psalms are ancient songs that were written to God, songs of celebration, songs from all kinds of different emotion. But this is one that's where the psalmist, the writer, is saying to God, you will fill me with joy. Now, this joy is literally just joy. It is the basic sort of emotional quality, very linked to happiness of joy, that feel-good moment that we have. Now, you, I wonder how joyful you feel you are as a person, because people vary, don't they? We all know some people who are a bit like Snoopy. Who used to like Snoopy cartoons, or who still does? Yeah, who, who still has the collection of those old Snoopy books on their shelves? Okay, that's just me then, right? Let's move on from there. <laughs> but remember Snoopy, he's always skipping along, isn't he? Little ears flopping, he is basically a joyful character. Some people are more naturally joyful than others. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm just, I'm just not designed that way. I'm just not a very joyful person. Maybe some of you are sitting thinking about significant others in your life thinking, yeah, they are just not very joyful people. Now, interestingly, did you know that research into joy and happiness would suggest that about half of your levels of happiness and joy are defined by your genetics, your personality? So you are correct that there is some variation. In general, there's a variation in how expressive we are emotionally with all of our emotions. But there is a bit of a variation in terms of how naturally joyful you are. On top of that, some of you may be thinking, right, to be honest, Kate, you're irritating me right now because I've had a rubbish week. And if you knew what life was throwing at me right now, you would not be stood up there having a go at me about being more full of joy. Now, just to be clear, that's not what I'm doing. So if I, let's, let's hope you're not really irritated with me by now. But it's true that there are times in life where it's really hard to feel joyful. It feels like a flipping hard slog. And about 10% of your joy and happiness levels is affected or defined by what life is throwing at you right now. For some of you right now, it might feel like a lot more than 10%. But those of you who've been doing the maths will have calculated that that leaves 40% of your natural levels of joy and happiness that are controlled by something else. So what is that? And research shows that it is actually about decisions that you make, choices that you make, the way you choose to live your life. So you can literally pursue joy. You can make decisions to change the way you live so you have more of this emotion in your life. This is a quote from a chap called Donald Altman. He is a psychotherapist, an expert in joy, and he wrote this book called The Joy Compass, which is about how you have more in your life. And he says, being in a state of joy is a learned skill, not an innate ability. So the good news is your joy levels aren't fixed. If you are sat here thinking the trouble is I'm just not a very joyful person, there is still, there's hope for you. We can change that. You can learn how to build more joy into your life. You can change your joy levels. And we all have to learn this. As kids, we have to learn what stuff do we enjoy? What stuff don't we enjoy? You know, the summer holidays are coming, parents. Beware for the inevitable cry from your children. What is it? I'm, 
Yeah, I'm bored. And it's tempting for us to feel as parents, we have to fill every moment of their life. But actually, boredom, research shows, is good for your kids because it forces them to find out what do they enjoy. How do you fill time in a meaningful way that makes you happy? And your kids, it is their job to explore that. So next, when they come, parents, to you in the holidays and they say that, you can officially tell them that I said that this is good for them to be bored, to go and find some stuff to do, preferably not what my son did the other week, putting a football through the shed window. Although that did bring some joy mostly to his sister, who thought he might get into trouble for it. But anyway... We should be learning how to be more joyful. We definitely shouldn't be passive. It's so easy just to treat these things as things that you either have or you don't. And if I'm just not very joyful, then that's just my bad luck. Because there is something that you can do about it. We need to seek joy out. Particularly those of us who are of a certain age. Gary, I don't know if we can flick that's it, this graph up. Now, this is a graph to show average levels of life satisfaction and joy over the course of your life. The bottom axis is your age. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Did you know small children, it's debated how often, but small children laugh hundreds of times a day on average. Adults... So uh, I I did a little bit of research on this because it is quite debated, but most studies suggest that the average adult laughs somewhere between 10 and 15 times a day. Some of you are like, seriously? I am more grumpy than I thought. (laughs) But we do know that life throws challenges at us in all seriousness. Some of us are in phases of life where joy is a lot harder to find. You know, there are times in life where the responsibilities that you have, the chores that you have, the demands that are placed on you can literally start to squeeze joy out of your life. And this is recognized if you are in, like some of us are, Matt, bad luck, isn't it? Your mid-40s. Some of us are more mid than others though, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Then this is statistically one of the most challenging parts of your life. It's going to get better, people. That's all I have to say. Once you're past 50, all you happy retired folk out there, honestly, yeah. Because there's this phase in life where you have so much responsibility. You still have young children. A lot of us also have elderly parents we might be caring for. In your job, research talks about how you have enough responsibility to to really carry stuff, but you're not senior enough to be the person who basically tells someone else to do it all yet. That that comes next, presumably. I'm looking forward to that, Matt. That's going to be good. But it can be challenging. I love this. is a comment from Dan Kopf, who's a, who's a, 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 he's a, a journalist who says this life starts well and ends well the middle often stinks so extra prayers for you today if you're in that space but joking aside it's true this is this is hard you know I'm in that life stage it's tough juggling all the things that we have to juggle sometimes and the worries and the challenges that life brings And so often, you know, we play on the edge of burnout. We hear people talk about burnout all the time. You know, it's not unusual in a week for me to think, this is it. This is how I'm going to have my breakdown right now, this moment, because of that child or that traffic jam or whatever it is that's just broken or gone wrong. 
We play on the edge of it because we know that we're near the limits just because of what life is throwing at us. But we tend to think as long as we've not gone over the edge, we're okay. But man, the team and I, we were at a conference the other week where we were hearing from Carrie Newhoff. He's a Canadian church leader and he was talking about the challenge of burnout and stress. And he was talking about what he calls low-level burnout. You can see his definition on the screen, where the functions of life continue, but the joy of life has gone. What a tragedy that is. If we accept as normal that for such a significant part of our lives, that will be our experience. Because the problem with external sources of joy is that they are external. They're often not under our control and it can get squeezed out. So I'm going to ask you three significance that I want you to, significant questions that I want you to take away and ponder this afternoon in that happy, content space that you're obviously going to have this afternoon. And here's the first one. What is it that brings joy to your heart? What did you used to do that you don't do now because you don't have time. Because we say we don't have time, really what we mean is we don't make time. And I know that's tough. It might require prioritizing some stuff, juggling some things, making some changes. But you need joy in your life. What brings joy to your heart? Some of you may need to experiment because you don't even know. I don't know, it's so long since I felt joyful. I need to try some stuff out. Some of you have had such a challenging time in life that, that you find things that used to bring you joy just don't work anymore, so you've given up trying. We need to get back into the habit of trying, of deliberately building things into your life. Carrie, in his, in his talk at the conference we were at, said this great question. He said, when did you last really laugh, really belly laugh, like till tears come down your cheeks? Gosh, that, that's a hard question for some of us because we're in this adult phase. What brings joy to your life? But what I want to carry on to think about is some other sources of joy, because this is a great type of joy, but the challenge is it is fleeting. It is so easily pushed out. We need something better. We need an ultimate source of joy. And the Bible talks about an ultimate source of joy. This is Psalm 4 verse 7, talking about the joy that comes from God, that comes from a relationship with God. The joy that you have given me is more than they will ever have. With all those things in life that we try to use to make us feel good. Here it talks about two classics, food and wine. A lot of people will use those to try and get joy, but it's fleeting, it's temporary. The Bible talks about a source of joy that is deeper, that is more satisfying, that is more reliable than that. And that's the two extra things that I want to talk to you about now. So number two in my types of joy, this is actually a Greek word. It's from the New Testament and it talks about joy. It's got the same root, this Greek word, as the word for grace. Grace is when we talk about the favor, the generosity that God gives us, the things that God has done for us, even though we could never earn it. And this type of joy is the joy that we feel when we have a moment of just being so aware of how blessed we are by the God who loves us that much. Did you know that God loves you that much? Did you know that there is a God who smiles on you 
In fact, the Bible says that he rejoices over you with singing. I love that that it's an Old Testament quote that the Hebrew word that says rejoice. Literally, it means that he makes like a little exultation. It's like whoop. He loves it. He's like woohoo when he thinks of you. God rejoices over you and he places that blessing in your life. So much of life can feel like a hard slog, can't it? But we don't have to earn the love and the favor that we have with God. That's a gift to him from us. That's what grace is. It's a gift. And the joy of those moments when you just recognize and remember and your attention is drawn to that gift from God, that's an amazing type of joy. One of the amazing things about it is that it is also present when life itself is throwing tough stuff at you. Here's a verse from the Old Testament, right back in Genesis, the first book in the Bible, talking about a guy called Joseph that you will have all heard of him, if not through the Bible from Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. The, the story of Joseph is one where he struggles for a long time in his life with real challenges. And this is a verse talking about a time when Joseph was in prison. He thought it was all over. He thought he was probably going to be killed. That he, he must have felt there was no hope for him. But this verse says that when he was in that dark place in the prison, the Lord was with him and showed him his faithful love. This type of joy, the awareness of God's love smiling down on you like the warmth of the sun yesterday is a type of joy that can be present even when life is throwing real rubbish and challenges at you. But you have to be looking for it. You have to have radar for it. We can be so busy that we miss it. So my second question to you this morning is, do you have the time to spot the blessings in your life? And do you take the time when you spot one just to linger on it for a moment? Psychology talks about the art of something called savoring. That is where you stop and really deliberately take a moment to allow your attention to focus on something. So the next time you see something and you're aware of just that little flicker of something that is this type of joy, pause, take a moment. Maybe it's something from nature, a beautiful flower, that, the warmth of the sun on your back, the gentle noise of the breeze coming through the trees. Maybe it's something else, a literal blessing that God's placed in your life, a hug with one of your kids or the kids of a friend, or somebody who sent you a friendly text in a moment that you were feeling really rough. I don't know what it is. Uh, the chance to have a quiet cup of coffee, to read the paper. One of these little blessings that life can give you, even in the midst of turmoil. Pause. Reflect on it. Because that's an amazing source of joy. That's number two. Number three, then, this morning is another word for joy that comes from the Greek from the New Testament. I love this one. So we've just talked about the joy that comes from understanding God smiling on us, God's grace and mercy to us. This one is a joy that comes from having a different perspective on the world. And it's a perspective of understanding something so, so crucial right now where we're at in the world and our culture. And it is this, God is in control. He he actually is in control. Even when it feels like he isn't and we are all in big trouble, God is in control. There is a higher power, a bigger story arc over humankind than just who is going to become the next prime minister of this country or climate change or any of those other things. God is in control. This Greek word is actually originally from, it's a sporting term and it means to celebrate a victory. So those of you who are football supporters, anyone who watched the women, England, 
Scotland women's team. There's, yeah, yeah, a few of us, yeah. So a great victory to celebrate there. That's the type of joy that this word means when you celebrate a victory. And it is about celebrating a bigger victory over the whole of the history of humankind. And that we know that actually God has got a solution that is good, an ending that is good for people. He has a plan and he is in control. And the great thing about this type of joy is that it's something that we come to know when this verse says, you have shown me the way of life. Literally, that means that you have, you have gradually developed my knowledge and understanding of this great truth. We get better at understanding this joy. You can grow and get more and more of it. And as it says in this verse, it can fill you not just a fleeting thing, but something that fills you to the brim, a type of joy that becomes so powerful that you feel full of it. It's the dominant thing that you're experiencing. And we need that, don't we? We need that sense of joy. Because did you know that your brain actually has a negative bias? This is a great verse from a guy called Paul in the New Testament, one of his many bits of great advice for how to live your life. He says this, summing it up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Your brain is biased to focus and obsess on negative things because they're the the important things. Generally, you need to not repeat or not have in your life or deal with. In order to balance that natural bias, we need to intentionally and deliberately take time to focus and meditate on things that are good, that are better. And God's victory over the world is an amazing thing to spend some time focusing on, praying through, giving your attention to instead of the attention grabbing stuff that you see and read every time you look at the news and the reason is because that can make all the difference to something that is so pervasive in our current culture which is cynicism do you know the growth and the rise of cynicism in our culture as a personality trait that affects almost whole countries and whole generations of people? It's something that's, that's being noted again by psychologists. And this type of joy from a different, a better perspective is the ultimate solution to that cynicism. It changes anything. There's a character in the Old Testament called Abraham. He's one of the ancient fathers of of God's people in the Old Testament. And his story is an amazing one because Abraham is told that he is going to become the father of all nations. The slight problem is Abraham has no children and he's old. He's very old. So it feels unlikely. And the story carries on that he basically gets older and he still has no children and he gets older and he still has no children. And Abraham is in this place where God has promised something amazing, but all the human evidence would seem that it's not going to happen and there's this great verse in one of the New Testament books that talks about what Abraham managed to do in that moment that was so clever and it says this that even when there was no reason to hope Abraham went on hoping that's what the joy of having God's perspective does even when the world's perspective looks rubbish We can hold on to something positive. We can hold on to hope. We can defeat cynicism. And we can say, no, we are going to put our minds on something positive. 
So my question three for you this morning of three is this one. How do you nurture hope instead of cynicism? It's so easy to get drawn into our world's cynical culture of negativity, to snipe at one another, to make negative jokes. But how do we carry something ultimately so much more precious, hope and joy and things that can sustain us? So we've talked about three types of joy, a basic form, but then two more very important sources of joy that come from an understanding of who God is. And more than that, a personal relationship that we can have with the God who can give us this amazing new perspective. And the thing is, those two types of joy can change everything for us. Look at this, the last quote that I'm going to share with you today. This is from another guy in the New Testament called Peter. And he's writing about the impact that that relationship with God can have for us on our joy. And it's, it's utterly mind-blowing. And he says this, he's talking to a bunch of earlier, relatively new Christians. He says, you love him, even though you've never seen him, literally in the flesh. Though you do not see him, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Not just joy, not just fleeting happiness, not just the feel-good that comes from a beer on a hot summer's day or having a laugh with some friends. Good human stuff. What he's talking about here is something much more significant, a joy that sustains us right from the core of who we are, that fills us completely, that is our defense and protection against the rubbish that life throws at us, that is so powerful, it's inexpressible. Why don't we take a moment to pray? Have a look on the chairs around you before you do that, and you'll see some little slips of paper that say joyful. Band, it would be fantastic if you guys could come back and join me up here because we are going to pray in a set. But grab your little slip of paper that means joy, and we're going to take some time. So find your slip and then stand for me so that we can take a moment just to pray. Have a look around on the chairs around you. If you can't find one on your own chair, there should be one on a chair near you. And we're going to take a moment to pray for this joy that is inexpressible. And to pray particularly for for those of us who are finding that a struggle right now because of the phase of life that we're in or because of things that, that are being thrown at us right now. But the first thing I want to do this morning is I want to offer the chance to anyone who's here this morning who does not yet know this God that I've been talking about. Because we are just a normal bunch of people whose lives have been transformed by God. Many of us didn't grow up in families where we were taught about God from an early stage. Many of us came to hear about God in places much like this and started an amazing journey of the relationship and knowledge that I've been talking about. So if you're here this morning and that's you and this is the first time you've heard it, or maybe you've been coming here for a bit, but you feel ready to make that commitment to God this morning to say, I would like a relationship with you, God, that brings me this source of inexpressible joy. And I've not had the chance to do that before. Why don't you just raise your hand with me now so that we can come and pray with you and we can talk to you more about how you get this sense of inexpressible joy. So is there anyone here this morning who would like to make that commitment for the first time today? Anybody at all, do raise your hand if that's you this morning and just or catch my eye and then we'll know that it's you. 
Let's, let's move on and pray for the, for the rest of us, for all of us this morning. So I want you to just grab your piece of paper and hold it in your hand. And right now as we're stood here, to say to God, what is it that you're speaking over me this morning? Because I believe that God wants to speak to all of us individually today. Last week I said every single person in this place has experienced anxiety or worry about something. Today I want to say to you, every person in this place, God wants you to experience inexpressible joy. So what is he saying to you? Is he saying to you, there is something that you used to do that you need to start doing again that brings you joy? Is there something you need to try out that might bring you joy? And if so, there are pens around. I want you to write it on your piece of paper as a commitment today to God to say, I am going to start doing this again. I'm going to make time in my life for this thing that may bring me joy. Because we have to make time for this stuff. So at any point now while we're praying or in the final song or before you go, find a pen and write it on your piece of paper. Take it home with you. For some of us this morning, I believe that God is saying, we've spoken so much about the joy that comes from your faith, your relationship with me. For some of us, I feel like God is saying, you are here this morning and you're aware. I used to have that, but I don't have it anymore. So if that is you, I'm going to pray for you in a minute. God wants to restore your joy this morning. He wants to speak that joy back into your life. And finally, if that's you and you know you're facing challenges this morning in your life that are pushing the joy out, squeezing it out, we want to pray with you this morning. So we have a team of people who would love to pray with you individually. I'm going to pray all together and then the band are going to play us a song. But please do come and see us, come and speak to us. We would love to pray with you one-to-one this morning. For now, let me take a moment to pray for all of us. Father God, we're grateful for the presence of your Spirit in this place and in our lives. Lord God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your blessing towards us, for all the things you have done for us, for the amazing things you have placed in our lives, for the fact that we don't have to earn your love, your honour, your acceptance, that we can just bathe in that as surely as we bathed in the warmth of the sun yesterday we know that we can just bathe in the acceptance and unconditional love that you offer us thank you for that and we thank you lord god that no matter how difficult and challenging our world seems you are in control you have a solution father god we pray for anyone here this morning who feels overwhelmed by the situations that life is throwing at them for anyone here who feels like there is no human hope We pray the power and the impact of your hope, your perspective, your joy against the odds for them right now. Through the power of your spirit, we pray that you would fill them with joy. Father, we just take the opportunity to rest in your spirit, in your presence this morning, to bask in your love and in your joy. In Jesus' name.